1: What is up, everybody? It is Friday night, which means another edition of the preview show right here on Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. And listen, I know I was talking to my cousin today, Mister Ryan Talbot, who uh, my uh, esteemed co-host on the Shout podcast, and uh, I'm Matt Marino, as always. I was talking to my cousin today, and they're, you know, obviously the Bills are back after two road games, and he's in a wedding this weekend. Uh, or his brother's in a wedding this weekend and they're going to the game on Sunday and they're breaking, they're bringing two buses. I guess it's like a wedding party, a whole thing. Right. And it got me to thinking like, um, you know, from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. If you are taking a big party to the game on Sunday, it makes sense to go over to tops because they have everything you need to feed the hungriest fan like that one, Ryan, working that in a little smooth. story into the that rain was, this week. That
2: was smooth. I enjoyed that quite a bit.
1: <laughs> how are you, my friend? Oh, wait. Actually, before I ask you how you're doing, okay? Get out of town, all right? Almond Joys are trash.
2: Oh, I tweeted out. get out of here.
1: I tweeted out that candy corn is terrible and I always go through my kids' candy bags and I throw all those out. I don't even want them suffering through a package of candy corn. By the way, why are we buying packages of candy corn, okay? Just like <laughs> You know, back in my day, back in the '80s, early '90s, when I was trick or treating, they just sprinkled the candy corn in there, and I just leave it at the bottom of the bag. Now they're giving you little pouches with it in there. Terrible, Almond Joy, trash, bad candy. Take. They wouldn't even be in my top fifteen candies, Ryan Talbot.
2: That that's insanity. Now listen, I you know I obviously have a a Mount Rushmore of candy and. There are certain ones that deserve to be the elite of the elite. The Reese's, uh, anything in the Reese's family, essentially (laughs) Kit Kats. I'm a big Kit Kat guy, Snickers, Twix. But, you know, the disrespect for dark chocolate and coconut, insane. Give me mounds. Give me almond joy. I will eat them all day long. And anytime my kids get one and they're not going to eat it, I know that I'm going to benefit from that. So that's, you know, again, that's the dad goal is, is get those candies that the kids don't want. And almond joy—that those are gems. Those in the mounds. I'll eat them all day long.
1: Well, you know, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving together this year. I'll be sure to bring you some almond joys because you're—you'll be a, an easy, cheap date. And I know what gets Ryan Talbot going at this point. And you know, we'll be down uh, in—you know—one of the biggest party cities in the in the world. I'll give you a couple almond joys. You'll be all hopped up on chocolate, coconut. You'll be ready to go. So that's you know. It is what it is. I think whatever candy you like, just let people like their candy. I joke around about the candy corn, but I don't care what you like. Eat your candy. It's Halloween celebrated. It's just true. don't be like Nate Geary, who hates Halloween and dumps on Halloween. <laughs> he put on a great event last night. Uh, Real Men Wear Pink. Him and Sal Capaccio put on a great event. We were out there uh, at in, uh on Elmwood uh, in the city of Buffalo. It was a wonderful event. Uh, shout out to our guy, Nate Geary and Sal Capaccio. All right. It is football preview night here on the Shout Football Podcast. The Bills get back after it uh, this Sunday when they take on the Miami Dolphins at home. This is a rematch five weeks in the making, five or six weeks in the making here. I mean, I feel like it's, we just did this show with Marcel. He came on. Uh, the big news from him uh, and uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN now covers the Dolphins. He will be here shortly. He uh, was uh, fighting through a little Miami traffic, a little bit different than Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the, uh, you know, probably downfalls of living in Miami, but he also sends me pictures all the time from his balcony. So, I mean, I guess, you know, you win some, you lose some, we're going to get into a lot of different facets into this game, but open us up here, Ryan, when you think about this rematch, this close together, the bills haven't played another AFC East team yet. What's the first thing that you're thinking? Because it, I would imagine a lot of fans thinking this is going to be just like a romp and uh like celebrate the Bills against the one and six Dolphins. But I don't know. There's a, there's some there's a couple little things that going on here that I think could, could make this game interesting.
2: Well, I guess I'm kind of lumped in with those fans because I, I look at it and I say, oh, you know, the, I've always said during the days of the Patriots with Tom Brady, I, I'm not going to believe the Bills can beat them until I see it. Now this is how I feel about the Dolphins and the Bills. I'm not going to believe that the Dolphins can beat the Bills until I see it. Sean McDermott is eight and one in nine games against the Dolphins since becoming Bills head coach. Josh Allen uh, has the one loss. He he was there for that loss, but it was it should have been a win. Realistically, McDermott should be nine and zero right now. Mc, uh, Josh Allen should be undefeated against this Dolphins team, minus a Charles Clay drop touchdown in the end zone. So it, it's just been something where. A lot of those games, too, have not been that close. There was a close game last year in Week 2. I want to say it was 31-28, but uh, there was the the 56-26, 35-0. A a lot of blowout wins over that course of time, and there's just certain teams that one team matches up extremely well against the other, and I feel like that's the Bills when it comes to this Dolphins roster. Even without Dawson Knox in the picture for this matchup, I, I just think the Bills have too many options on offense. It doesn't matter if the Dolphins are playing man, zone, whatever they try to do. I just think the Bills are going to have a field day on Sunday.
1: The Bills are pretty healthy going into this game. And I think that that's something that, you know, we've talked a lot about Dawson Knox and, you know, he's going to be out a few weeks dealing with that injured hand. Spencer Brown is a guy that, you know, uh, he popped up on Wednesday, didn't practice. Dealing with a back injury, we find out from Sean McDermott that he injured that training earlier on the week. Uh, it didn't happen in the Titans game. So he's dealing with uh, a back issue, hasn't practiced all week. He's been listed as doubtful. And our buddy Thad Brown over uh, in Rochester said that no player that's ever been listed as doubtful for the Bills has played on Sunday. And I think it's trending in that direction. So we'll talk about maybe a, a few different combinations that could where the bills land uh to replace him, and you know Sean was asked about Cody Ford as well, but really, for the most part, this is a healthy football team for the bills. I think it's Justin Zimmer was the only other guy with a designation besides those two, but he was full with a foot injury um he's questionable, but i'd i imagine he plays uh but it'll be interesting to see what what this means with you know. Uh, I've got a lot of questions about, you know, Tommy Sweeney obviously is going to probably assume that starter role at tight end. But do the Bills bring up uh, a Cahill, uh Waring or a Quentin Morris? What does the role look like for, for Reggie Gilliam? There's a lot of questions that I think the Bills can kind of, you know, tinker around with it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I'm intrigued to see, uh, you know, one, how they replace Dawson Knox. Obviously, Tommy Sweeney is going to be the main beneficiary from the tight end position. But you can work Reggie Gilliam in there. Uh, Khalil Waring, I could see getting that activation. I, he has a little bit more NFL seasoning in, in terms of being in the league a little bit longer than Quentin Morris. Um, so th- They're all options, but really when it comes down to the actual game itself, I don't necessarily think it, it has to be Tommy Sweeney that picks up the the, the pace, so to speak, for Dawson Knox. It might be Gabriel Davis, who's been the odd man out this year. It just might be more targets for Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders, or it could be Cole Beasley once again, but It's a good problem to have when you can lose a guy and you still have all those other weapons to uh, have at your disposal.
1: Speaking of good problems to have, when you got to sit in some Miami traffic, it's a good problem to have when you get up to your room and look out over that beautiful skyline, South Beach in the (laughs) distance. Our man is in the house. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. We were just talking about it. We got Brightsmith Reservations. I texted him, Ryan. I said, Man, I, I can't go back to Brightsmith right now without without Marcel. So I've not been there since he left. And now we're going to get back after. What's up, buddy?
0: Oh, man. Feeling good. Feeling good. You know, try to remember that. It's a good problem to have when you drive through downtown. It, it was like a combination of Brickle being Brickle. It's Friday evening. I think the Hornets are in town. They're playing the Heat tonight. I got to drive by the arena. I mean, just like comedy of errors coming home. But Ultimately, it's a blessing, right, man? I can't really complain that much. Thanks for waiting, though. Anytime, man. We'll always wait for you. And funny, like, over the
1: last couple weeks, we've talked about it. Like, you know, you continue to get this uh, this weird, frustrated, like, hater fan social media (laughs) stuff. And it's like... I think you tweeted it. You said it so well. I'm one like this. It's weird how people are like, you know, fixated on this. But I tell, I tell you all the time though. I think it's a big piece of it is because of how much people enjoyed your coverage and just miss you. And you know, it's a, it's like an ex girlfriend, right? Like when you break up, you have to break up. You know, even if it's, even if it's like good at the start, it's like, you know, you are still gonna, you're gonna throw some shots at some point. I think that's what it comes down to. But you know, you're living uh, your best life out there, and you got a fun team to cover that I. And I tell people this all the time. It's not always about covering a great team. It's about covering a team as a journalist that has a lot of storylines. And right now, you know, they're in the middle of it uh, of the national uh, conversation with what's going on there with Tua and pot- potentially Deshaun Watson.
0: Yeah, man. Well, so for, first of all, you know, and, and we spoke about it a lot in the month leading up to me leaving. I was like, dude, I don't think they're going to take it well. <laughs> like, I, I think they're. I think Bill Simmons are going to be kind of mad at me. I, I think it's it's a Buffalo thing. And they might hate me even more for saying this, but I think it dates all the way back to, like, the Super Bowl, you know, early 90s days because Buffalo became – that's when it really became a punching bag for the rest of the country, and I think that's when people got ultra protective over this city. And so any – you know, it didn't take much to be perceived as a slight. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not a Bills fan, but, like, I've always loved Buffalo, man. Like, I don't have that kind of interest or energy – to fake it for two years, man. It was two, it was right. two years, but uh, that's neither here nor there, man. Like real ones know how I feel. Uh, but yeah, man, dolphins are, uh, they're interesting for sure. Off the field <laughs> so far uh, on the field, it, it is still interesting just because of how disappointing it's been. Like, you know, you win two games or tw- 10 games in 2020. Uh, you, worse in the off season. Like you add nothing but talent. You add guys like Will Full. You add a Jalen Phillips and a Jason McCourty in, in the defensive secondary. And you think, man, like, hold on a second. If this offense can figure it out, they might challenge the Bills. It's an easy enough schedule. They might challenge the Bills atop the AFC East. And I I, I really think it all went downhill during that week two loss. And that's the obvious starting point, right? Because Tua was knocked out of that game really early. But, no, I think that all offseason, they hear these things, and it's a young team. They hear these things like, okay, here come the Dolphins. Don't count them out. Dark horse contender, X, Y, Z. And then the team that they're really compared against, their version of what the Chiefs were for Buffalo in the AFC, the Bills are to the Dolphins in the AFC East. And the first opportunity they get, they just get wrecked. And, And I think they haven't really recovered from that mentally so far. So, you know, six straight losses, Vegas says it's going to be seven come Sunday, man, and I, I just I haven't seen anything to suggest anything otherwise.
2: Marcel, uh, you know, Flores had a 10-win season last year, so I can't sit here and say that his seat is hot. But of of Flores and Chris Greer, whose seat is hotter right now based on the expectations of this season after winning 10 games one year ago and being at 1-6 right now and things not, I, mean, I guess things looking pretty bleak.
0: Well, that's the uh, that's the problem there, Ryan. Is I don't think you can let go of one without letting go of the other. Um, it's something that Stephen Ross has done, I think, repeatedly throughout his ownership. Is he sort of forced coaches onto GMs? You know what I mean? And been around since 2016. This is year I believe that's that's five, that's six. That's not acceptable. This is not an acceptable place for the mm-hmm. Dolphins to be in after that long, after that many picks that he's accumulated. After that much premier first round talent, he's been able to select from. This isn't a good look for him. But at the same time, you can't let Chris Greer go and then hire a new GM and say, okay, but you have to work with with Brian Flores. So I I think that it's uh I think it's hard to separate the two. But I think there is a world in which both of them are gone after this year because I think they sold to ownership. They said, you know, we have a playoff caliber roster right now to the point where we can afford to package our first rounder in 2022 and move mm-hmm. up for a guy like Jalen Waddle. You don't do that. If you think you're going to miss the playoffs, like you, if you're going to pick in the top 12, you don't get rid of that pick for, you know, with all due respect for, to Jalen Waddle, you don't get rid of a pick that for a wide receiver when you're that many pieces away. So I, I think that if, if they are able to string some wins together and you know they've got the Jets twice. They've got the Giants. They got the Panthers. They got the Texans. I mean, there's there are winnable games left. If they're able to string something together and finish at like we'll call it seven and ten, give or take, then you know I, I think they both get another year. But if the wheels really fall off and they, this ends up being a you know a three and fourteen or a four and thirteen season, I think there's a world in which neither of them are back. Because why would you trust Chris Greer? to handle another draft for you when you're already shorthanded.
2: Right. And listen, you, you missed the start of the show where Matt had this really smooth transition into this tops uh, ad, but you had a really good transition here too. I think this is a good talking point. The NFL draft. Is there any buyers not buyers remorse, I guess, but is there any remorse about the way the dolphins went about picking waddle where they could have stayed at number three and if they really loved waddle that much it could have been the pick but you look at the success that jamar chase has had you look at the success that kyle pitts has had pitts back-to-back 100 yard games is it something where they probably should have just stayed put and now you're, you're looking at it and they they made this trade with the eagles and they gave up what could end up being a top three top five pick
0: yeah i i think that that question starts to is starting to loom now and i, I brought it up last week as Jamar Chase goes off for like 200 yards and a couple scores uh, that are they, do they deserve the same level level of criticism for passing on him that they get for passing on Justin Herbert in the previous draft. And, you know, I think Waddle is, is a really talented receiver. Uh, I think he has been miscast in, in this offense. I think they're turning him in to a Jarvis Landry type receiver. And that strikes a nerve down here because Landry, obviously talented receiver that they used as just the PPR God. And I I don't think that Waddle ceiling is that I think he could be a lot more. And then Pitts is an obvious choice because with Mike Kosicki in the final year of his contract, this gives you an obvious successor under team control for the next four or five years. So I I think it is, I think it's a tough sell here. Um, Obviously hindsight is 2020, If they're a playoff caliber team, if they're tearing through this first part of the season, then nobody questions that. But I I think that this just following what he has done in these past couple drafts, it just makes it look that much worse. This to me
1: is a perfect example of why. And listen, I know that these are actual people, right? Like this isn't a Madden game where you could just like, you know, start like making like rash decisions and changing on the fly. I get all that. But if if it's not working, like the Jets, for instance, you knew very early on you effed up when you hired Adam Gase. You gotta move on that because the longer you stay with a system that's not working, the lo- the more it puts you back as an organization. You know, I look at I'm looking at the Dolphins contracts right now, right? And one of the things that stands out to me based on the first time they played the Bills, and the only time I really got a, a chance to really watch them is how bad this offensive line is. They don't have their top cap hit right now for their offensive line is Jesse Davis at 4.5 million. And I think you could make an argument that he's among the worst that they have. And I know like Austin Jackson's had his struggles I'm going to ask you about him in a little while, but they have not prioritized building around Tua. How can you listen? I've been as down on Tua and what we've seen out of him through his first 11 games as 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 anybody. Right. You can't sit here and say they've done enough to put stuff around him. He has he's got some weapons, but he's got nobody in front of him.
0: Yeah, and well, and here's the scary thing about that, Matt, is over the past two or three drafts, they've they've spent four top ninety picks on offensive linemen. I mean, you got guys like Solomon Kinley who was benched uh early on in this season. You've got uh you've got Robert Hunt there at right guard, who maybe has been their best offensive lineman this season. You've got Michael Dieter who's hurt right now and started this year at center. Um, Then you've obviously got uh, Liam Eikenberg. You've got, uh, excuse me, you've got Austin Jackson. So it's four or five guys right there that are just not getting it done. And and that's too much draft capital put into the offensive line for them to be dead last in pass block win rate, for them to allow 20 pressures to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, (laughs) who should not be running from his life, From the Jacksonville Jaguars, man, like besides Josh Allen, name another defensive lineman on that team. Yannick Ngakwe is long gone. Yeah, it's a huge problem. And that ties into what I was saying about Chris Greer is given his history, what has he done that tells you this guy deserves to run more drafts, especially when, you know, we blew our first round pick. Thank God, I think down here for them, thank God the 49ers are are starting to slip down. So they might, you know, they might end up with a top 12 pick, but, even still, like, it, it's just that that's not in their control. And, and I think that's got to be unnerving as this season comes to a close of the next 10 weeks. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's a because this was a big argument up here, uh, down here a couple weeks ago is have the Dolphins done enough? Have they helped him? And, you know, they're they are trying, per se, like they hired Charlie Fry, who is to his quarterback coach. They hired him as their QB coach. They they hired and, and kept two offensive coordinators in Gazi and Studentsville, guys who would presumably build their system around to it. They went and got his teammate Waddle. They went and signed a guy like Will Fuller. The problem is there's a difference between trying to help and actually helping. And I don't think they've crossed that threshold yet into actually helping.
1: You know there's a comment here, and I'll let you take it from here, Ryan, and then Marcel, you could chime in on this as well. You've covered the bills you're just as qualified to talk about this as we are you know i I would make the argument that like I appreciate what Spin is saying, and there's there's questions about the bill's um offensive line, even at this stage as they're you know eyeing a Super Bowl run you know there's questions along this offensive line there they've turned the right tackle over to a rookie. he may not play this weekend in Spencer Brown, but who knows, but I would argue that. That that move that they did make, and a couple of them in that second year, they were pivotal moves that helped shape year two into year three for Josh Allen. They gave Mitch Morse. They set the market at center for Mitch Morse. In my opinion, the most important guy on the offensive line. You want to get your young young quarterback a center he can trust. Then they go out and pr- get Quentin Spain, who didn't allow a single sack his rookie year or uh, his first year in Buffalo, and then John Feliciano for as much as. T- People like to bang on him a little bit. He's been a consistent starter for them. Has he given you all pro or pro bowl level play? No. But I think at times for stretches for a guy that's been banged up a lot, he's been more than serviceable. So I think that they did a lot. They drafted a couple people. They they tripled down again this last offseason with Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. I think they did did address the offensive line and the moves that they made, I think it paid off a lot more than the way that the the Dolphins have gone about it.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, and, you know, if spin is talking just about the draft, sure, I mean, you could look at the highest draft pick there uh, post-Josh Allen and Cody Ford, and you could you kind of say, well, he hasn't really panned out much, and that's fair. Uh, a lot of those offensive linemen from that second round of that draft haven't panned out much, but the Bills have doubled down, tripled down, like you mentioned. They've even looked, you know, past the draft. Ike Butker, when they brought him in, uh, they obviously brought him along. They coveted him. When they lost him to the Chiefs, they brought him right back. They swing a trade for Ryan Bates, uh, sending a pass rusher back that wasn't going to make this roster, and Bates is that utility guy that can play across the line. So it's not just the starters, it's the depth as well. Now, do the Bills have all pros across the line or any all pros? No, I I would say that that they do not, but they're, they're adequate, and they're above average. You might have one guy that gets beat, but Josh Allen can get around that one guy. It's when multiple players are losing, like you saw in week one against Pittsburgh. That that's when Josh Allen really has to worry about things. But there's, there's been plenty of examples this year and last year where Allen's had all day to wait for guys to get open. Or uh, last second he rolls out to his right where he, he's very dangerous and he finds a guy 20, 30 yards downfield. So it, it's not really one and the same between these two teams. I, I really do think that uh, between free agency and the draft, the Bills have prioritized upgrading that offensive line. Yeah,
0: and it's not just the offensive line. Like they, they prioritized building around Josh Allen immediately after his rookie year. If you look at that that free agency class of 2019, man, like you said, Morse was in there, went out and got John Brown. They went out and got Cole Beasley, which, you know, receivers who could get open and separate are, are arguably just as important as guys who protect them because it allows them to get the ball out fast. Um, you know, they spent a second round pick on, on Deion Dawkins the year before. Josh Allen got here. Obviously, they set the market, like you said, with Morse. They trade up for Cody Ford. I mean, like they they have actively tried to build that offensive line. And, uh, you know, it, it's just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In the Bills' case, it's worked out. In the Dolphins' case, it, it hasn't. And the scary thing is, and I, I imagine we'll see it on, on Sunday because in what world does Buffalo not bring the house at, at Tua once again? Uh, the scary thing from the Dolphins standpoint is it has to a sort of playing like Josh Allen or having to try to play like Josh Allen, where he's throwing on the run, where he's scrambling and where he's trying to throw out of sacks. And he doesn't have that dynamic arm strength like Allen does in order to get away with that. If you look back at week one, right side of the offensive line gets beat, tool rolls right, spins out of a sack and then tries to fling it downfield, ends up floating it. Pats pick it off. That should have been the game right there. If Damon Harris didn't fumble, this team would be 0-7. Almost did it last week, too. Or no, didn't do it last week and then burned them. You know, first play on the drive after Zabin Howard picks off Matt Ryan. Tua trying to throw out of the sack. Floats one up. Falcons pick it off. Bring it all the way back in the scoring range. And, you know, great opportunity for Miami. It goes down by the wayside because Tua's trying to be something that he he really is not. So I I think that's a severe issue that needs to be addressed this offseason. They got, as Matt was reading off the contracts, they got like $80 million in caps pace this offseason. Severe upgrades need to be made, man, because uh, if if not, then, uh, you know, at least the weather is nice down here. (laughs) Because we're not going to win football games for a while.
2: You know, you said something, and it goes back to what Matt said about a good team, a good GM. Uh, We'll make a change when something needs to happen. You mentioned it after Josh Allen's rookie year, the Bills went out and they added those guys that could create separation. I think Bills fans maybe tend to forget that Josh Allen's rookie year, Brandon Bean went out, and he was targeting guys that weren't creating separation but had the longer wingspan, guys that he thought uh, could, could help with Josh Allen's accuracy issues. You had Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, you had Andre Holmes, you had Zay Jones, you, you had um uh, uh, not a who's who, but you had a who's that crowd of wide receivers. And when, once he saw that that didn't work, he pivoted. He changed immediately. He didn't stick with it. And that's what good teams do. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it went right back to what Matt said, because, you know, with Tua, and obviously there's been a lot of talk the last, what, year? about Deshaun Watson into and, and Miami. Uh, when it comes to Tua, if they really are dedicated to, to him, they have to make a change here sooner rather than later in terms of what they're doing, how they're using guys, how they're building
0: around him, because obviously something's not working here. Exactly, and I, I love that you brought that up. That was one of my favorite, I, I guess, beanisms that he's done since he got to Buffalo, because he he's coming from that Panthers organization and if you remember what they tried to do with cam newton they got guys like devin Funches got guys like you know kelvin benjamin they spent high graphics on because the misconception with inaccurate quarterbacks is that you need guys who can go out and just catch whatever ball if it's in the area and that that doesn't matter if they're not open and that's an issue with dolphins receivers last year that according to next gen stats they were last in the league at creating separation as a group so when you add a guy like Waddle, that helps. But Devontae Parker's still here. And, you know, when he's he's played, he's been good. But he's not a separation guy. Like, that takes trust between Tua and, and Parker to just float it up and trust that he's going to come down with it. Preston Williams has been on and off the field. He's not creating separation. Like, it, it, there's a – all of a sudden – and then Will Fuller. Man, like, you want to – like, you really want to root for Will Fuller. You want this guy to be on the field because no one – you know, no one wants to see players hurt. But man, like ten million dollars for this guy who's a guaranteed injury every season, is really tough to justify. Now, in, in hindsight, of course, but man, on paper it looked good. Got paper, they looked fast, they looked versatile, they looked, you know, they they they, they look like one of the stronger pass catching units in the NFL. And now it's just it's decimated.
1: We give a lot of praise to, to Brandon being on this show. I mean. He's a executive of the year in the NFL, what he's built for an organization that didn't make the playoffs for 17 straight years. It's hard to really find areas that they've, they've missed as a regime. You know, he's got a really good staff. They do a really good job scouting. Like you could say what you want about some of the misses and there have been some, I mean, I think Ed Oliver at this stage, what they drafted him to be versus what he is right now, he's not there yet. And we're almost halfway through year three. And so there's there's been some questionable um, picks that maybe haven't like panned out, but Josh Allen, obviously the, the most important one, and it's always going to be the most important one. You know, guys like Taron Johnson and Dawson Knox, those middle round picks that are starting to hit. But there's also been some 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 puzzling moves. I mean, Wyatt Teller, that that trade. You never know what he was going to develop into here. And I know that going to Cleveland and working with Callahan, that was always going to be a good situation for him. Quinn Spain's playing some good ball in Cincinnati, but here's the thing. If you have misses like that, here's what saves you. If you do other things within your organizational structure that build a healthy franchise, hit on enough coaches around your your head coach to build that sustainability, that continuity. You can list them all the way down on both sides of the ball. They've hit on so many assistant coaches, most importantly, the coordinators. But having that same offensive um, coordinator for four years for Josh Allen, that same message, you know, you can miss on a couple personnel things if you're doing other things in your your building right.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And that is a issue of concern right now in Miami is there's been crazy turnover. Uh, not just at the assistant coach or at the coordinator level, but at the assistant coach level as well. This is Flores' third year. This is his third set of offensive coordinators. I guess you got to call it a set because they yeah, have – What's two going on with
1: that, by the way? Can you give us the intel on that? Why are they? Ha- why do they have two offensive coordinators?
0: We don't know either. We don't know either, man. And like we've been asking for as long as I've been here. So I imagine they were asking beforehand as well who was calling the plays. We don't know yet, man. Like, we still don't – they, wow. they're being that secretive here. The idea is that Godsey calls the plays, George Godsey calls the plays, and it's relayed down to Charlie Fry, who then relays it to Tuatongo to Tunga Wailoa. It all seems like such a bad game of telephone, though. Like, I don't understand why you can't designate one person to call the plays. Uh, I, I forget who exactly reported. I think Peter King reported that Charlie Fry was actually the one calling plays. And Flores couldn't confirm or deny it. He just says it's a collaborative process. But the thing is, like, their (laughs) offense, this offense, it it wasn't working. It's better with Tua running than it was with Jacoby Brissett running, which, good Lord, man, like, full disclosure, he's a great dude. But that that guy would not take shots down the field. It it was just like – you know, as a reporter, you never want to tell people how to how to play their game. Like they're the pros, not us. But it was like, what do you got to lose at this point? <laughs> but neither here nor there. Uh, those guys can't go anywhere. If your floors, you can't fire those guys because then you're on your fifth or yeah fourth fifth whatever we're going to call it the co thing is really throwing my math off but still <laughs> that's way too many offensive coordinators that's way too many coaches in such a short span you're going to get the reputation that you're hard to work with that you're hard to please he wants he, he fired an offensive line coach last year uh, one week into training camp like right. uh, the the turnover is just it, it's so high here that i am I'm, I'm worried if i'm a dolphin's fan uh, i'm i'm worried that there is a bad reputation in that building.
2: Shell, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino
1: and Ryan Talbot.
2: Marcel, a question from the chat, and and maybe not trade rumors, but let's just say hypothetically, Miami loses on Sunday. Who are some players that the Dolphins you think could be looking to unload by that November 2nd trade deadline?
0: I think Parker is, is, is high on that list. You know, he, he might be their most talented receiver uh, when he's healthy, but he's rarely healthy. Uh, remains to be seen how happy he is. They did trade his best friend on the team and Jakeem Grant a few weeks back. He done no, no public outbursts or anything about how happy he was about it, but I can't imagine that he loved the move. Uh, and let's be frank here. He's one of the few pieces on this roster that could actually get some value back in return. You could probably get a mid-round pick For Devontae Parker, he's under contract for the next couple of years. Uh, You look at a secondary guy like maybe Eric Rowe, a guy like maybe Brandon Jones, you know, or even Xavier Howard. I I think maybe the right team could get you a first or second round pick for Xavier Howard. You know, maybe a playoff contender, Bill Barnwell, one of my colleagues at ESPN, he suggested that the Titans go for him. You know, a playoff team that might be a shutdown cornerback away from having legit defense. They might be willing to give away a first-round pick at the end of that round. So uh, there's a couple of guys they that you know might turn into sellers for them. Um, The obvious, you know, I know everybody wants to know about Deshaun Watson, and we can get into that if we want here if we're ready for that. Um, (laughs) That the basic the baseline is: pay attention to where rumors are coming from, and if you'll notice. A majority of reports that a trade is about to happen are coming from Houston. They are, I don't know if is the right word, but they want to wipe their hands clean of this guy. The issue right there in Houston, though, is the GM, Nick Casario, does not want to attach conditions to any draft picks he gets in return. He's, in his mind, if, if I'm supposed to get a first-round pick, I want my first-round pick. I don't care what happens with Deshaun's legal situation that that's where the Houston Texans lie from a dolphin standpoint. You know, when you hear a rumor that says, you know, team a and team B are close to a trade, it really means that team a wants team C D and E to up that offer a bit. So if I'm Miami, if I'm Chris Greer and Brian Flores, I'm thinking, man, I'm the only one at this table. Why would I bid against myself? This is my offer. they have made their offer. A trade could have been done at any time from I would say October 29th, all the way back into March or April. Like, at any time, if Casario would just lower that asking price, Watson would be a Miami Dolphin. But I don't think that that asking price is going to be any lower. And I don't think that the Dolphins are, like Stephen Ross in particular, I don't think they're going to sign off on giving away too much. But, you know, the wild card in this is the situation that Greer and Flores are currently in. Tua just played the two the best two game stretch of his career over the past two weeks, and Miami still lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars and Atlanta Falcons. If you know, if, if I'm the front office, if I'm Stephen Ross, I'm kind of thinking, what is the ceiling of this team as currently constructed? You know, if if we're getting to his best game right now and we can't beat the Jags, where are we going? Like you know, where what's what's our current path? So from Greer and, and Flores' perspective. They could give away. They can attach multiple first-round picks to it because if Deshaun is cleared, or if he, he serves his time and he comes back a superstar and they win games, who cares about those first-round picks? It, it, it's on the field. It's worth it for Deshaun Watson. And if he never plays, Flores and Greer are fired before those picks even <laughs> come. So it doesn't affect them in the least. You know that's 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 the only reason I think a trade could get done. But you know if if I'm a betting man, I'm saying no way. Uh, you know, this thing gets tabled until the offseason.
1: Uh, the Deshaun Watson stuff, I think we got to bring you back on after the deadline, depending on it, even if it doesn't happen, just because I I have, I have thoughts on that. But we I want to zero in on a couple more things about this game in particular, because I think it's it's interesting. We, we've been asking the Bills. I mean, you've been in these press conferences with a lot of veterans on this team. I mean, asking Micah a Jordan Poyer. Um, you know, even Deion Dawkins, guys that have been in this league a long time, about, you know, these same kind of questions. I mean, the storyline on this Bills team has been what it's been since the beginning of the season. They're now the hunted. They're now going into these games. You know, they're gonna take shots from some from lesser teams, and their schedule is that they're gonna play a lot of lesser teams. And but I think that this game in particular, as as much as the Dolphins have struggled, there is an element to one and six. What do you have to lose? If Brian Flores can somehow hit the right notes in the lead up this week in, in those meeting rooms, like on the, on the plane before the game, playing that video last year, when the bills just slapped them in that, in that stadium, You know, who knows what team you get? I mean, I'm I'm looking at the stats right now and that and the Dolphins had 22 pressures, according to pro football focus in that first matchup against the Bills. And I think that's one of the reasons because of the way that they play defense in their secondary Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders talked about that man to man coverage. And you might get a few deep ones, but they they're in your face for for 60 minutes. I think that that combination frustrated this passing game a little bit in the first matchup. Now, this is a different Bills passing game that's a little bit more in its bag at this stage. But do you see a situation where they can get some pressure with this front? How is that front playing? And we all know what they do on the back end.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to send pressure again. I thought that was a, they had an aggressive game plan in week two. And and matter of fact, that was arguably one of the best games. This Dolphins defense has turned in all season, just because they held Buffalo at 14 points at the half before. I think the wheels just kind of fell off once they got no support from the other side of the ball, but yeah, they're going to bring the house. Uh, Secondary is, Still a little bit banged up, but getting healthier. You know, Xavier Howard no injury designation, but he's been battling you know soft tissue injuries, as has Byron Jones. So you never really like to see that going up against a, a team like the Bills. But uh, man, I, I don't think it's going to do much. Like, I, I I don't see. I, I just I don't see Miami winning, man. And I I try to be as silver lining, optimistic as I possibly can be, but I also have to be a realist here. 91-26 to 26 over the past two games. The only reason why this is not a six-game losing streak against the Bills is because of a dropped touchdown by Charles Clay in Josh Allen's rookie season. Otherwise, this would be six straight. I think at this point, it goes beyond the field. I think it's a mental block right now. That they mentally have to get over that hump of beating Buffalo, and I don't think they have the horses for it right now. Um, you know, Getting Devontae Parker back will help. He had a huge game against Buffalo there in, in week 17, although it was against the Bills backups. It's it, it still when they needed yards, they went to Devontae Parker. Um, I think that you know that'll be big for Tua to get him back. I, I just I, I just don't see it happening, man. Like I I don't think their teams on the same, you know, wavelength right now. I think they're in two different categories. And I, I think Buffalo's arrested. They're mad after losing uh in, in in what is it week six mm-hmm. I, I just i don't see it man i don't see it this is a team that's traditionally very good out of the bye we saw what they were able to do in the regular season last year after a disappointing loss they they ran the tables on the rest of the league you know following that week 11 bye. so i, I don't know man anything can happen on any given sunday but I, I just don't see a world in which josh allen plays and the dolphins win
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the last two games. Over the last six, the Bills have outscored the Dolphins 232 to 112. I mean, that just kind of tells a whole other story there. But, you know, maybe one area where the the Dolphins can keep the ball away from the Bills is if they can move the chains a little bit, uh, eat the clock a little bit using the run game. And obviously, they they lost Malcolm Brown. What should we expect from Miles Gaskin this week?
0: Yeah, losing Malcolm Brown, it's a tough loss because you lose your battering ram. And they protected Jared Dokes on the practice squad. That's a guy who who can maybe fill that role in a pinch. But the issue here is, and, you know, as much as I I dog Miami's offensive line in the passing game, they're actually a really good run blocking unit. I I think they're top 10, maybe even as high as four, if I remember correctly, in run block win rate. They are top 12 in terms of uh, average yards before contact. The problem is Dolphins... Running backs rank in the bottom third of the NFL in yards after first contact. I think this is the rare scenario in which we say, you know, it's the running backs' fault. You know, maybe a more talented running back might be able to either avoid some of those tackles, avoid some of those hits, or just break that tackle after first contact. Uh, Miles Gaskin, he's had a he's had a decent year. He's been a little underused. It's been this revolving wheel in the in the backfield. So with some more consistent run. I think we'll see a better output from Gaskin. You know, he'll be involved in the passing game, as will Savon Ahmed. They're very interchangeable in, in, in as far as their skill sets go. But the issue with the run game, obviously, is you get down by a couple scores. That that game plan goes out the window. You know, if you're down 17-0, 17-3, you know, you can't just run the ball for three, four yards at a time. So, you know, it, it really depends on game script. But if they're able to establish that and, you know, play ball control and, and not try to get in the shootout with the Bills, then I guess they have a shot at, I don't know, maybe keeping it close. I just I just don't see it, man. Like, I, I'm trying hard to find ways to come in here and be controversial <laughs> and ways that there could be an upset. And I, I just – I can't, man. And I, I'd like to. I want to. But I got to see it before I can say it. Well, you won't be upset if you uh,
1: are celebrating at home or away this weekend and you head over to Topps because they have all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Ryan, I'm getting a little – got to get a little creative in this stuff. I, I think people have heard a lot of these reads at this point on the Topps, uh, uh sponsored <laughs> podcast, and sometimes you got to get a little, uh, little frisky. All right, a couple things on the Bills. Offensive line, potential – alignments here with Spencer Brown uh, looking like he's not going to be able to go on Sunday. He's doubtful. There's a chance Sean McDermott, you know, kept it very close to the chest today saying he's holding out hope, but very rarely do guys not practice three straight days and then end up playing, especially when you're talking about a young offensive lineman dealing with a back issue. I don't think you want to rush it there. So there's a couple options. They can go to the fifth rounder and see what they have in Tommy Doyle. If they've seen enough from him in practice, I saw somebody in here ask us. Uh, how's Tommy Doyle been looking? Well, guess what? We don't really get to watch that, uh, anymore. We only get to watch the the stretching portion of practice, some of the individual stuff. Uh, and so it's hard to kind of glean where he's at, but if they want to get a look at him, I mean, this is a guy that they drafted in the fifth round. He was very raw. I don't know where, you know, if I saw at any point in training camp or the preseason, like that he might be ready for a move like this. So I'm more probably in the camp of like a Darrell Williams at right tackle. And then you have to make a decision. I, me personally, I think Cody Ford deserves a chance to maybe, you know, play uh, more than three games uh, in a row at, at a position. Well, but, you know, we we obviously know he's a bit in the doghouse. Uh, Ike Bucker, obviously the other option there.
2: Yeah, I think at right tackle, obviously you have to go Daryl Williams in that scenario. I agree with you. Doyle did not look ready whatsoever this summer. Uh, and and he's athletic. He He has traits that you like, and that's important. But you need to bring him along at the right pace, and I don't think now is the time to uh, roll them out and put them on the field so you move Daryl williams to right tackle and then it, you know that's a million dollar question at right guard who do you play i think this coaching staff w- would favor ike butker at this point in time but at, at the same time you know ford has some run some play at that right guard spot maybe you alternate them at least early on to see who's giving you more uh and then kind of run with them after a few series
1: Offensive line wise, Marcel, I want to ask you about this because, you know, I asked Leslie Frazier about AJ Epinesa this week because they've been very, I think they've been a little bit too cute. If I'm being honest in my assessment in terms of activating, you know, sitting Harrison Phillips for a couple of weeks, then bringing him back, keeping Vernon Butler inactive. I know they like their depth and they're going to play matchups and all this stuff, but AJ Epinesa had that game against Miami kind of fell off a little bit for a couple of days and then they made him inactive against Tennessee. Uh, and I don't know the Leslie Frazier's comments this week. I, I don't know if they're ready to go right back to him this week. Maybe he will be active. We'll kind of wait and see. But offensive line wise for the Dolphins, you know, this is a matchup. Maybe you want to get AJ Epinesa to go back in there and earn some confidence back. How are they playing? Have they been better in recent weeks with the success that has had?
0: No. Okay. To, to, put it, to put it bluntly, no, they were, they were maybe a little bit better. Improved from, again, that 22 pressures against the Jaguars two weeks ago, but not much. And, and granted, neither of those teams, the Jags or, or the Falcons, have guys that are, are going to really press the issue in terms of, you know, pr- pressuring a, a quarterback. But you look at Tua's interception, Austin Jackson was eaten alive by Grady Jerry. Like there's a reason why Tua was, you know, throwing out of a sack. It's because he's being dragged down half a second after the ball snap. And, again, he's having to turn into a little more of a runner than the Dolphins should be comfortable with because he might have been a dual-threat quarterback going into Alabama, but this is not Hawaii high school football. This is the NFL, man, and he's not a, he's not a runner. Like, I don't – he's got a couple moves, but honestly, really, he has one move. He's got that little that little fake juke, that little Euro step that he got uh, Deion Jones with last week, but he's not – you know, I don't think he's got the frame to sustain that many hits as a active runner. Again, he's not Josh Allen. He's not you know quick like uh, he's not quick like like Lamar Jackson. He, he's just kind of shifty enough that he can find space and go you know a, a, and go get a few yards. But a large part of that is because the Dolphins are allowing the most pressures in the NFL. They're not sustaining their blocks, so it's kind of scary the, the fact that you know here come the Bills with this cyclone of pass rushers this that goes two, two and a half, three deep. And I, I don't know if the Dolphins are necessarily ready to, to protect, but I will say that they're motivated to. You mentioned Jesse Davis. He's a good guy. He's a great dude. And he was really down on himself after allowing that 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 hit uh, on Tua there in week two to A.J. Epinesa. I think that they are embarrassed about their performance that week. They even said, you know, things got out of hand. The wheels kind of fell off. So I, I think they're ready to redeem themselves here. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to be a billionaire. It doesn't mean I'm going to <laughs> be a billionaire. You know, it, it's – but, you know, mentality and the want to and the motivation, that's half the battle.
1: Listen, I checked out your place down there uh, in week two. I'm ready for you to be a billionaire too because I feel like the trips to Miami would be just
0: next level, okay? Shoot, man, you and me both, man. Let's start with the actual ocean view, and then, you know, we can work our way up from there. We get a little bit of water in this year.
1: All right, let's round table this thing up. Uh, Ryan, you start us off. Uh, how this game goes, uh, give us a pick.
2: Yeah, I said it before. I'll say it again. It's This reminds me of the old Bills-Patriots series, where I'm not going to believe that the Dolphins can win until I see it. So I'm going with the Bills.
0: I'm going to go 38-10. I think the line in Vegas is uh, 13 and a half I'm not a big gambler, but I'm going to take the over on this. Just like Ryan said, it it is a mental block at this point. And I think week two really derailed their season and really derailed their confidence, whether they want to admit it or not. And I've got the Bills winning again. I've got 31 to 14.
1: Okay, so I, uh, I I try to set things up, try to make this show a little interesting you know, maybe this could be a, a closer game than people think. No, it's not going to be. Let's be honest. I think the Bills roll. I think that this offense, uh, more so the defense is going to be looking, like you guys said, to make a statement in this game. I think the offense is probably looking back at that tape from week one, and I think we all remember that uh, close-up on Josh Allen, kind of looking a little bit despondent, kind of like a, you know, he hasn't gone into Miami in a while and left feeling like that. So I think they want to watch that. I'm going to go with 38 to 13 buffalo bills it's going to be uh, a party for bills mafia on sunday by the way it's going to be party for us tomorrow night when we uh get after it with uh chicken <laughs> sandwiches like i mean they're going to be flowing i'm bringing the kids like I-, I might even like let luke have the uh the chicken sandwich i want him to experience that for himself uh, in the floor.
0: For him to be a man he's seven let's <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: go <cool>. he's seven
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it's uh, he'll be Harry Potter because uh, that's what he is for Halloween. So, um, all right. If you're hosting a large party, check out Tops's huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, affordable, no stress way to impress. Complete details stop by their carryout cafe or visit slash fantasy football. Marcel Louis Jacques delivers once again. I will tell you all, Bill's Mafia, uh, whether you're watching live, if you catch the replay, if you, you download this on audio, lay off my man, please. He went, he's doing <laughs> a job. He already said he's going to be back in Buffalo should there be a parade at some point to come celebrate with you all because he did become that uh, enamored uh, and, and uh, you know, indoctrinated in the Bills Mafia while he was here. He really liked the people. So just, just dial it back. Let's a little bit more, uh, little bit more love, you know,
0: <laughs> I feel like a Super Bowl parade in Buffalo would be like Mardi Gras in, in New Orleans or like. Gasparilla in Tampa. like it, It's like one of those things. People are going to fly from like Rome and, and Ireland to come experience because it, it's just going to go in the history books. I can't miss that. Beautiful.
1: Alright, everybody, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy Halloween. Don't eat any Elm Joys. Dump all that candy corn in the garbage, and we will see you on Sunday after the game. Chef, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.